Welcome to episode 21 of IoT on Tap with Mike Sturm, Chris Herrera, and two special guests today. We have Omar Singer from Snowflake, and we have Ed Fraun from Hashbit. So welcome, guys. Um, first, what we're going to do before we introduce you guys is just quickly go around and see what you guys are drinking. So Ed, we'll start with you. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a limited release from Upslope Brewing Company out of Boulder, Colorado. It's called a Blood Orange Saison, and it nice. is a beautiful ale with blood oranges and spices. That's that's quite possibly the fanciest drink we've had on this <laughs> podcast so far. Hey, when you're in Colorado, you drink the local <laughs> beer. All right, Omer, uh, how about you? So at Snowflake HQ, we have a couple beers on tap. Today I'm drinking uh, Bay Area Native High Water Brewing from San Jose, and uh, this is a campfire stout. So less fancy, uh, but still good stuff. Nice. We need a we need a tap in uh, in Hashmap, Mike. You need to get on that. Uh, we could take care of that. <laughs> so what are you drinking? Actually, what are we drinking, Mike? We are drinking the Chimay Blue, the Grand Reserve Ale. It's a Trappist ale, and it's uh, pretty spectacular, actually. I know you've had it before, Chris, but uh, this is my first time. That's uh, it's one of my fa- one of my all time favorites. Actually, I think it was on like episode three or two or three of the podcast. I can't remember, but that is a good beer. High good. alcohol content as well. That's Uh-oh. always good when you're dealing with security <laughs> matters, <laughs> which is what we're going to be talking about today. Today, what we'd like to do first is introduce our guests, Ed and Omer. So, Omer, if you could go ahead and give us a little introduction, background, kind of what you do. Sure. So I'm the director of security at Snowflake. I lead the security engineers and we're responsible for threat detection and response and also watching the cloud configurations. So we have a ton of cloud environments and we need to make sure that everything is configured securely so that our customers data stays protected. Fantastic. And uh, Ed, what do you you're another fellow hash mapper with uh, Mike and myself. So what do you do? Yeah, so at HashMap, I am an enterprise architect, and uh, the last uh, year and a half kind of got introduced to Snowflake uh, with a lot of our clients and been using it uh, extensively since. So as a result, uh, my last three or four projects have been a lot of SaaS offerings uh, moving from on-prem to the cloud. So yeah, basically for the last year and a half, Ed has been trying to avoid actual computers for a long, long time. He just he wants to click the button and just get the database magically in the sky. Enter your credit card and you are ready to go. <laughs> to that point, Ed, if you wouldn't mind, since you've been working on it a little bit, give us uh, you know, your quick little rundown. What is Snowflake? I, we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit before, but it's always good to get some other takes on it. So just give us a high level. What is Snowflake and how have you used it type thing? Sure, sure. So uh, in short, Snowflake, it's a cloud data warehouse or data warehouse, I should say, system specifically built for the cloud. It's not based on Hadoop or PostgreSQL or, or, or the likes. Uh, the founders uh, really want their initiative was wanted to build a data warehouse solution from scratch uh, using the cloud principles like infinite compute and storage. Um, so with that, the uh, basically it's a hybrid, I'd like to say, of traditional shared database architectures and a shared nothing database architecture. So you kind of get the benefits um, of both in, in a single service. It's a pretty clever design. 
and it offers the data management simplicities of shared disk architecture with the performance and scaling of uh, shared nothing architecture. It's uh, pretty pretty slick to use and easy. Awesome. So one of the we've covered Snowflake, we've covered uh, how much we kind of like it and some of the use cases we can do. But one of the reasons why we have Omer on the podcast today is because we'd like to talk about a little area that always worries people when they're talking about SaaS offerings and also some of the interesting projects that have come out of this around security and really how you manage security, not only how does Snowflake manage security, but how can you as a user of Snowflake manage your own security? So Omer, if you could go a little bit into kind of what your team does and and how you do it without divulging any state secrets or anything. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. So Snowflake today uh, is running on AWS and Azure and we're going to GCP. So we have uh, multiple cloud environments. We have thousands of servers running across these environments. We have all our laptops. We have SaaS applications that we use ourselves. So we have a ton of surface area that my team needs to watch and catch the bad guys that um, are targeting us before they are successful in any of their attacks. And the challenge that we were facing is that the tools that we were using to watch the activity across all these different systems were just super noisy and not reliable. So we were dealing with thousands of alerts a day, literally like 2,000 alerts every day that my team needed to go through. And, uh, and it's, it's hard work. And we also, uh, we, just, we didn't have the confidence that we wanted to have that you know, when the bad thing happens, we would be there to catch it and catch it very quickly. And, uh, and so we turned to Snowflake and that's been really successful for us. We pipe all the security data that we may possibly be interested into Snowflake. And that's where that infinite scale that Ed was talking about, that's where it really shines uh, because we have hundreds of gigs from um, many, many different sources going to Snowflake. And then we're just limited by our creativity in how we can combine those different log sources to really catching the bad guys early and also things like insecure configurations that are so important in a cloud-centric company like us. So this is like the ultimate uh, example of eating your own dog food. So essentially you're using the tool to monitor the tool. That's, that's actually quite nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 for, for sure. And it's, it's nice that we have the Snowflake engineers here. So if we have any questions or if we need some features, we can, we can ask them. But really, we do use Snowflake like our customers do. And uh, yeah, that's, that's our solution. So I think now's a good time to point out, Ed and I were actually in, in preparation for, I think it was the first time we had talked, Omer, uh, when we were playing with Snow Alert, which is a, a little project that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, Ed and I had to set up some events going into Snowflake. And Ed, if you want to talk about a little bit about how easy it was to kind of get those CloudWatch log to uh, Snowflake, I mean, that was that took almost nothing. Yeah, it was pretty slick. And um, I kind of kind of go back a little bit. What, what's neat about this is one of the core features is the support for the semi-structured data. And you know, if you've ever had to deal with that semi-structured data like these logs, and then and, and combined it with structured data to get real value out of it, uh, you know, it, it's challenging. But in Snowflake, it was literally, you know, minutes. Um, I think, uh, you know, using the Partner Connect, we used Luma to just point to an S3 bucket and it just started, you know, loaded in straight away, had the JSON there. And then just putting a view on top of the JSON to filter out uh, what we were really interested in. So kind of felt 
like a knowing sequel and Snowflake, I I, I kind of could, you know, hold, hold my chops <laughs> with a security engineer. You know, it, it was it was pretty cool. Um, you know, you know, get down and, and, and what are we trying to look at? What are we trying to monitor? So quickly just getting to what we're trying to understand or monitor um, pretty quick. So to go back to the semi-structured point you made earlier, those CloudWatch logs that we were ingesting, that was uh, what I would classify as a straight up mess of JSON. Very happy that we could just pretty much flatten that, create a view on top of it and just query it straight out. Exactly. And and here's one super cool feature about the JSON. So you write the view and then all of a sudden you see a new uh, object come in with a, a different property. Uh, your view still works. It You're looking for that key value pair and it's in version one and then it disappears from version two. When that query queries the version two of the data, the schemaless data, it shows up as null. So all you have to do is head null. You don't have to change the query. So any kind of data consumer that's dependent on that, just handle null. Just put some basic error handling in your code. And you're, again, focusing on your, your real requirement yeah. or, or your work you're trying to do, which is kind of the fun part of what we do. You know, error handling is important, but uh, not not what keeps you going, Get getting you right. up every day. So me. going back to how you guys are using Snowflake to do security analytics. Obviously, Snowflake it's a database. Uh, it's a it's a nice database, but at the end of the at the end of the day, it's a database. So something has to be actually watching the data that's coming in, evaluating the data for any security vulnerabilities. If there's bad guys doing something, whatever. So um, how do you handle essentially the, the scheduling of that kind of stuff? That's a great question. And that was, I think, the biggest challenge that my team faced when we wanted to see if we could use Snowflake for security analytics. And the guidance that we got for this was actually from one of Snowflake's largest customers, which is a financial services company that has uh, petabytes of data in Snowflake. And originally they were using Snowflake for the classic use cases, BI type stuff. Uh, but they were their security team was facing some some big challenges using the existing tools that they had, and I won't mention the names, but they were all invented before this big cloud revolution took place. And so they put a premium on storage. And when uh, this financial services company wanted to investigate something that went months back and and to look at very granular data, they either didn't have the data um, or it was hard to get to it. And, uh, and they also were facing challenges in, in correlations because they were only looking at the, at the logs in there. They, they realized that they can use Snowflake to combine the logs with the more structured data um, and also to just keep a lot of data for a very long time. Um, and so they, they did it and they, uh, they were really the first and they have a, a team that put together uh, a scheduling mechanism where you could define queries, you, you define the questions that you wanna ask of the log data that's in Snowflake and what to do with the answers. And they showed us their, support, their, their, their approach to it, but they didn't share the code. And so that's where Snow Alert came in. And that's why we need to, to create Snow Alert, which is an open source security analytics framework that lets you schedule the queries and also define what happens 
when when there is a match, right? When there are some results to the questions that you're asking. So at the end of the day, it, just to take it from a, a really high level and just boil it down a bit, essentially what we're talking about is a a solution that runs scheduled queries, more or less. Is that is that basically what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's really it. I think uh, for a lot of the other use cases, you know, we can talk about BI tools for slicing and dicing the data for investigating, but you want to you want to automate the questions that you're asking, and that's really just scheduling the queries. Right. That's one of the things that I think struck me uh, the most when we first saw it. Uh, essentially, Snow Alert, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's basically two pieces. You've got a Docker container that actually executes the queries and and you know shows the violation, shows the policies, things of that nature. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but th- then you've got the UI side of it as well, the SAM UI, which is basically a, a front end to Snow Alert. One of the interesting, uh, I I think, features that I saw, at least in the Snow Alert paradigm, was the fact that it wasn't just type in your SQL and type in a a, a time. In fact, you schedule it through different mechanisms. Uh, You could actually abstract it out to policies. You You could say that this is the policy that is currently being infringed upon, whatever that policy might be. And uh, I was wondering if you could speak to kind of the idea behind that and why, uh, I mean, I think it's a really cool feature, but why did you guys do that in the first place? Sure, sure. So in the beginning, this was something that where we were solving a problem that we had, and um, we basically moved away from the old solutions that we had to, to doing this. But after we solved our immediate problem, we realized that this is something that's going to be super relevant to our customers because everybody has SIM problems. Everybody has security analytics problems. And so uh, we've been speaking to lots of different CISOs at Snowflake customers. And one of these CISOs says, all these questions are interesting, but I want to have a dashboard where there's red or green. Am I meeting the uh, expectations that I've set for the environment or am I not? And being able to see that visually and have it automatically be updated based on data, that's the sort of data-driven security that everybody talks about, but really has a hard time getting to. And that's where the policies come in. So we might define something like all the production servers at Snowflake need to run this set of security agents. And we have queries running against the data that's coming in from the servers and coming in from the different agents. And if we see that there's a server that isn't running a certain agent, that gets recorded back into Snowflake by SnowAlert and that would then also update the policy value. So that policy row would go from green to red. And we know that we have a visibility problem that we can then go and solve. So these policies are really just natural language policies that allow CISOs or anybody else to say, okay, I'm I'm violating X policy. And then you can then determine, you know, the action that needs to be taken, or you can determine, you know, is this a recurrent problem that needs to have a higher level process change or something like that? Yeah, because, because if you ask most security teams today to see their security policy, you know what they'll pull up? They'll pull right. up a PDF and they'll tell you, this is my policy here. I have all my rules defined. You know, we got to be collecting CloudTrail from every account. We need to be running agents on all these servers, have MFA enabled for all of our administrators. It's written right here in the PDF. But then how do you know that your organization is meeting all those policy rules, right? And, and if you have the data in a place like Snowflake, then you could automate the validation for that. And, and I think that's, that's really powerful. And that's why we built out that policies feature. I think that's pretty cool because, you know, whenever you, you work uh, or you have a policy, right, it's just basically the high level um, 
you know, directive, but it doesn't tell you how to do it. That's where these rules come in to, you know, okay, I, you know, we need to have all account admins have MFA enabled, you know, want to look at this. We want to have backups put in place. So it allows you to sort of implement that policy um, and, and, you know, at a starting point and then continue the implementation and evolve that uh, procedure to, you know, conform to the policy, uh, which is, yeah. you know, a, a wide brushstroke statement. Right, uh, sometimes. right. And, and you could do it in one place. I think one of the reasons why this hasn't really happened so far across the industry is because you've never really had one place where all the data can go. So you had certain solutions where all the log data might be going, which is sort of streaming. This is activity that's been happening across the systems. But then you had your asset inventory in a different place and your user directory information in a different place. And, and there's a, a lot of information that was all over the place and policies need to encompass all of that. But with Snowflake, we now have a place that supports the JSON that we could put them all in there and, and then build the policies on top of that. And, and to kind of continue that thought too, and I just kind of thought about it, you know, Snowflake's kind of unique as a SaaS offering. You're on AWS, you're on Azure, you're heading to GCP. They all have different logs, different log formats, but you need to enforce the same policy across three cloud providers. You know, that, 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 that's saying something that you can do that with Snowflake and uh, you may have to have different views on top of that, but it would, it would feed and you could get a pretty good bird's eye view or a dashboard, green, green, yellow, red on, on systems across the platform that, uh, or different cloud provider. That, that's right. And, and, you know, most of our customers are in the cloud, but maybe they're not exclusively in the cloud, right? People still have on-prem infrastructure. That's still a thing. Uh, and, and it is an important part of the overall security uh, picture and uh, we're working with a snowflake customer in oakland california they're in the uh, container business but not like docker container like physical shipping containers the <laughs> actual containers <laughs> yeah also exist too uh, and and uh and these folks they have uh thousands of network devices switches routers and, and it's very important for them to have an eye to you know who's logging in who's changing the configuration of those things and we were able to help them to get those logs into Snowflake as well. So we have syslog collectors sitting on-prem. The devices ship syslog to them like they would do in 1995. But the difference is that now that uh, is being collected up into Snowflake. And now they can do analytics on that in a fully scalable way where it's fully managed. They can focus just on using the data and it's combined with the data coming from the cloud environment. Well, I think that's a big point because not just in the hybrid cloud scenario, but in the multi-cloud scenario where you have guys who tend more towards SaaS, but they actually have a, a drastic fear of vendor lock-in. So they have some services on AWS, some services on Azure, some services on GCP. And what you end up with is where, where you did have the problem of kind of analyzing on a single cloud vendor all of your potential security vulnerabilities. Now, when you talk about cross-cloud vulnerabilities and you still want some sort of SaaS offering, there's, there's really not a lot out there for you when you're talking about that kind of scale and that kind of scope and the fact that you don't want to onboard a lot of infrastructure. Uh, it fills a need that is going to rise as people start realizing, you know, there are some services, there's, you know, it's not just a single cloud provider that can provide me things. Maybe I want to use TensorFlow on Google. I want to use Azure ML on Azure. Now you've got this really, really big attack oh, yeah. surface oh, yeah. area. And it, there's a variety, but then, I mean, let's also talk about, about the volume, right? I think Snowflake's success, much of that has been because there's this 
big shift of enterprise up to the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the shift is happening, uh, but that shift comes with a lot more logs. Now everything is instrumented. Everything is APIs and, and there's a ton of visibility, which is awesome from a security perspective, but it's also hard because the solutions that were developed before the cloud, they can't keep up with the security requirements of the cloud. And, and that's why leveraging the sort of the scale of, of storage that Snowflake can, can provide is, is so critical to that transition. Right, right. So I want to dig a little bit into Snow Alert and what it actually is, because uh, a lot of these kind of more traditional security packages, uh, they're, they're, slightly, they're slightly bloated. They're fairly large. They take a, a good bit of configuration. They take a good bit of mentoring and babysitting. Um, but snow alert is really not that it, what we're talking about here is a Docker container and you can make it as simple as a Docker container that is scheduled on a cron job to run every five minutes, every, whatever you want to set your cron to. And that's it. I mean, outside of that, you configure your queries. Uh, it leverages snowflake to store all of its rules. It leverages snowflake to store all of the the things it has to run, the policies and everything else. So it doesn't, it's not like it's a stateful container. Right, right, right. Even even the uh, authentication piece uh, that we built out uh, relies on Snowflake OAuth. So we're not even managing the users. It's all sort of passed through with, with a Snowflake login. So really we're trying to keep it uh, very simple and, and just have this uh, a place to solve a very specific need, which is asking questions on a regular basis of your data in Snowflake, and then doing something specific with the results. And one of the cool features is that it ties into Jira to actually use that as a ticketing system so that when issues do occur, let's say that you had a guy log in without MFA or you've had a number of password attempts fail or whatever, um, you can immediately log that as a ticket to just build up for your team to go in and analyze or track or whatever. So. Without a whole lot of effort, I think it took us, I don't know, Ed, 20 minutes to get the whole thing set up. Uh, without a whole lot of effort, you've got a fairly good start on a kind of next-gen security analytics platform. Yeah, I would agree. After we got it set up, it was then uh, wrangling the logs and, okay, what are we interested in? Trying to sort through it, building views and, and getting to it, right? It was uh, pretty quick. But even then... To the Snowflake side of things, like let's let's not even talk about ingesting CloudWatch logs or whatever. To the Snowflake side, Snowflake collects a lot of metadata all by itself, like in terms of user activity, who logs in, log, long-running queries, things of that nature. So even without ingesting logs or anything else, let's say you just wanted to monitor your own personal Snowflake or your own enterprise Snowflake or wherever you have it set up. Um, in that case, you can actually just monitor the metadata from Snowflake itself. I remember we had a, a need to profile for a customer um, when long-running queries exceeded a threshold. And that's that was just a, a, a matter of reading the Snowflake metadata, setting a policy, and just having it run and generate tickets when there was an issue. Yeah. And th- I mean, if for anybody who's ever been a DBA and had to do query profiling and track down that stuff, that's not a a generally a very simple task to do. Yeah, it's pretty pretty clever. The information and the usage schemas that uh, they they provide 
uh, has a wealth of information um, that is available to you on this on the queries, the queries ID. You can almost kind of analyze, you know, what really is going on on the system. And again, back to the SaaS offering, um, you're only you can only monitor what's what's made available to you. And by making the information schema and usage schema available, it, it's it's kind of open you know opens the door I think to those security teams as they're kind of wide-eyed and a little hesitant in adopting, you know, SaaS offerings, um, it, it sort of bridges that gap a little bit that they can say, okay, I can see who's logging in, you know, because they are concerned. It's, it's a brave new world. And, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, present to a security team that is on-prem and moving to the cloud and, and convince them, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've achieved uh, something. Those guys, you know, the first word is, is no, right. Or not going to happen. It, it's insecure. So uh, we were able to, to, to convince the, the security team. Um, they were, they were, I would say comfortable with it, right. Uh, that, that there was some information that they could see and, and track and, and get notified on. Yeah. And, and Ed, uh, we were helping a customer in, uh, in the UK that uh, was moving into Snowflake, but the security team had a set of requirements. And they said, you know, from this data warehouse in the cloud, we expect to be able to see uh, both certain types of activity, like who's granting account admin mm -hmm. to some user that maybe didn't have account admin, maybe shouldn't have account admin. They want to be able to know about it. And they also want to check the configurations, like do the sensitive users uh, have MFA? Um, are they really restricted to logging in from places where they should be logging in from? Uh, and, and they deployed SnowAlert, and uh, they're using it just for that. So, I mean, we see SnowAlert potentially as being used for lots of different log sources to solve lots of different security analytics use cases. Uh, but here's a customer that's been running SnowAlert uh, for, for a while now, over six months, and they said, they're telling us it runs like clockwork, and they're just using it to monitor their own Snowflake. And so, again, I want to point out, this is an open source uh, project essentially done through Snowflake. So it's not something that obviously you have to have a Snowflake instance to make use of it, but it's not something, not like a feature that you pay for on top of Snowflake. It's something that you deploy, you can pull it off a of GitHub, you can pull it off a of Docker Hub. Uh, it's, it's basically there for you to use. So uh, with that, and going back to the fact that at the end of the day, we're talking about a, a scheduled query runner, essentially a scheduler for queries. Uh, there is a wealth of things that you could actually make use of outside of security uh, that would allow you to take advantage of snow alert. So I know Omar, we had talked uh, briefly when we were getting ready that even internally, you guys are fielding requests uh, for what else could we do with this kind of scheduled query runner. So if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, this is one of the really exciting uh, the things that have been happening for the security engineering team at Snowflake uh, just recently is that other teams in Snowflake are seeing what we're doing and, and the fact that we have this sort of automated analytics happening on top of Snowflake. And they're, they're thinking of, of ways in which this could make uh, their lives better and, and their work more, more effective. And, and that's a lot of fun. I mean, one of the sort of the key values at Snowflake is just to really be nice. And, and I think we're, we're fortunate to have a company culture where everybody's super friendly and super helpful. So, so we're working with them on this and everybody's just having a ball. Uh, two specific teams. Uh, one are the, is a customer support team. 
So, uh, so they're taking this initiative of being data driven and not just sort of inbound ticket driven, which I think is the, the posture that most support teams are, right? They sit, they wait for a customer to say, hey, I'm having a problem. My queries are taking too long to complete. You know, what's up? And then the support team responds to that. And what Snowflake support team, they're doing something uh, really, really clever and really proactive. They're saying, well, we have all this data. Why don't we look at it ourselves and maybe we can preempt the customer. And based on the data that we're seeing, we can actually get an alert to the support team that says, hey, this customer is maybe experiencing some difficulties based on the service data that we're seeing in, in Snowflake. And then the support team can reach out to the customer proactively and say, hey, customer, uh, can we help you with this? And, and I think that's going to be great, great service to the customer. So they're going to use SnowAlert uh, for that. And we also have uh, a team that wants to do some performance monitoring and watching certain servers. Um, if based on the data, again, this is server data and application log data that we're collecting into uh, Snowflake. And they're saying, hey, can we look at that uh, from a performance perspective and, and say, hey, this server has had high CPU utilization for a while now. And uh, that uh, pretty, pretty well correlates to some issues that we've seen in the past. Let's get a ticket open for that. Let's act on it. And so they're getting SnowAlert. And, uh, and for us, this is, this is exciting. I mean, it's people using the tool that, that we built for ourselves. Um, and hopefully there's some collaboration on the support team. They've actually hired a developer on their side to uh, contribute code back. And, and that's the power of, of open source. And, and we're really looking to make this a collaboration both internally and with our customers uh, in order to, uh, to build a really robust solution for these challenges. So one of the interesting things that we've found in, in that for alternative use cases anyway is we recently underwent a project, uh, just kind of a, a quick little thing, where we have HubSpot for our CRM, and we wanted to start analyzing that data uh, a little more than HubSpot wanted to let us. So HubSpot has got a, a really fleshed out API, and then we were able to just leverage Stitch, uh, the now Talent product, to pull that data from HubSpot and, and dump it into Snowflake, a lot like the... Um, the Aluma work that we did to move the CloudWatch data from Amazon or AWS over to Snowflake and then build a view on top of that. And one of the issues that we saw was basically rampant data quality, mostly due to the uh, the sales staff who Mike is not. Yeah, that's mostly okay, Mike's I'm, fault. I'm 50% of the sales yeah, staff. Yeah, he's 50% so of the sales <laughs> staff. So basically I'm looking at him right now. But using SnowAlert to actually build validation rules these are rules that are, are pretty difficult to codify in kind of a data model slash SQL sense. It would end up with a very odd schema in order to validate some of these things. However, it was much quicker to say, okay, uh, Mike, we're going to go ahead and give you a ticket that you are not putting in your end dates, you are not putting in your thing, or your end date is in 3052, which I mean, kudos to you that you sold a contract that is over a thousand years. But I, I think those are the types of things that uh, that we like to catch. And using Snow Alert for that was just a natural step for us. And the sequel would be pretty easy. Just put where user equals Mike. You could, you know, escalate exactly. the ticket to the... Uh, Actually, quality. where user equals Mike is, is probably not a bad data quality flag either. Well, exactly. It really goes back to something that Homer said earlier, which is it wasn't just the HubSpot data. We wanted to pull in some financial data. We wanted to pull in data from different systems and create some sort of similarity of data quality checks because we have, you know, if you look at making a sale, a sale has a contract and an expected revenue stream. 
which turns into actual revenue in your billing system. So the same sort of data quality from a reporting standpoint needs to be on both sides. So it's a way to apply, you know, similar to what, you know, Ed and Homer were both saying earlier, to apply the same rules across different sort of incoming streams. And one of the things that we've noticed, I mean, typically what you would what you would do in kind of your traditional, whether you had, a, you know, your traditional EDW, essentially, is you would have a rule that would block ingest, you know, if you had certain data quality issues. But when we're dealing with things like Fivetran, Aluma, Stitch, stuff like that, where it's not necessarily a fire hose, but let's say fire hose adjacent, uh, we would rather actually just go ahead and collect that data in the variant column, essentially, because it's semi-structured data at the end of the day. We'd rather collect that data and then clean it up later rather than rerun the ETL because it's so much easier for us to go ahead and just have that ETL done, have that data land in, this, in the system that we want to analyze it in, go ahead and build the views, and then have the data quality rules so that we can use Snowflake as our system of record rather than having to go back to all the source systems, redo everything, re-ETL the data, we find it so much easier to leverage something like Snow Alert to maintain the quality of our system of record rather than having to deal with, okay, Mike, go back to HubSpot, redo your stuff. Okay, we're going to re-ETL that in and just go through all that headache. Well, and, you know, coming from the business side is when I look at making decisions off of this data, as long as I know it's got a certain amount of error, as long as I have an idea of how good the quality is, you know, I can make some rapid decisions rather than go all the way back to the source, spend time to clean that up, then come back in to maybe not change. There's really no business value if I end up at the same decision anyway. So, yeah, you need to clean it up, but I don't necessarily have to clean it up right now. Right. We've also had other situations, which is less, uh, less kind of traditional kind of EDW stuff where you have operational data. So we've been talking a lot about WITSML, which is the bane of our existence. It is a uh, specification that the oil field uses to move data around. Uh, the specification is, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's a camel. It was created by committee. So it, it's what happens when you create an XML file by committee. Uh, but aside from that, it's got zero concept of data quality, at least in the early days. <laughs> so what we've actually... T uh, tested out is leveraging snow alert to do data quality checks on this incoming data because you rarely get a second chance to get that data so we would rather land it do some data quality checks profile it do a real easy query of saying this data set is 50 percent compliant this data set is 30 percent compliant you know you can start qualifying it by input source qualifying it by server source qualifying it by people that were on the job. There's a number of different things that you can do. And this is all using a framework that was built for security in Snowflake. And it's just a testament to the fact that it's a simple system that unlocks, it, I think it's what you said, Omer, it's basically only limited by the creativity that you can put into writing the SQL query that's going to be scheduled. And so what we've started to see is just a number of opportunities uh, above and beyond just your kind of your complex, I would say, security analytics use case. But there's actually a lot of domain specific applications for using a scheduled query runner that has policies. So if my policy was I always want to have, uh, for example, in 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 oil and gas, if I always want to have the API number in my WITSML stream. That is the world's easiest check. 
I want to make sure I get that data. So I'll go ahead and load it. But I want to go ahead and know which companies aren't actually providing it regularly. So I can go back when it comes to the contract time again and hit them with a stick. So there's a number of use cases uh, above and beyond just the security analytics that something like Snow Alert can definitely, definitely uh, handle. Yeah, and I, I think it boils down to sort of compliance, monitoring some business process, be it security, operations, uh, you name it. You, you, can, you can define that policy and you can enforce it and track it and monitor it, right? Um, you know, and if it, it's violated, uh, you can work, uh, work within those constraints to fix it and track it and get to the root cause of the issue and make sure it doesn't happen again. No, I'm, I'm saying, I mean, all, all this stuff is, is really exciting, but I, I mean, we're just getting started in that right now we're asking questions of data that exists. What we've been uh, working on lately is actually having Snow Alert create new data into your Snowflake. Uh, when we're using a data science tool called R to do that. And, uh, and it, it's building a baseline for us back into Snowflake of things that we care about. So one example is when we have admins log into our systems, where are they logging in from gets recorded into Snowflake. And that's interesting, uh, but we want to be able to ask of our data, is this an unusual login? And that's not necessarily obvious in the data right now. There's not necessarily a SQL that you can, that you can write and, and run against the data. But if we use statistical techniques to have a new table, that's a baseline, a statistical baseline of where people are logging in from and, and uh, how often certain uh, cities might be sources for logins, now we can compare, let's say, the last hours of worth of logins to this baseline table and say, hey, this login, statistically speaking, it's an outlier. It's unusual. And let's open a ticket for it so that the security team can investigate and, uh, and see that this really was that admin uh, logging in from a new place. Maybe he's on vacation in Japan, and that's why he's logging in from, from Tokyo, um, and make sure that it wasn't uh, stolen credentials. And as you're describing these additional use cases, I think they can really benefit from from that sort of approach. So are you actually modifying the Snow Alert Docker image to run R? Or is that something you're doing off to the side with the data that you're collecting? Yeah. So we've been doing it off to the side while we've been sort of, uh, you know, learning, learning the ropes. And now we have a few of these running. Uh, but currently under development is bringing that uh, R module into Snow Alert, and you'll actually be able to uh, define, uh, modularly uh, define the types of uh, baselining that you want to do within Snow Alert. And I, this, is, this is also exciting for me because I haven't seen a lot of anomaly detection in, in open source yet, and so this is a little bit new for us, and hopefully you know, you'll, you'll share feedback from, from using it. But um, it's, it, you know, data science, it's, it's hard, but it's not rocket science. I don't know if that... that that's a good metaphor to use. It, it basically, it can be done and, and by sharing it open source and trying to build modules uh, to standardize on approaches that we've seen work for us internally, uh, we think lots of teams can, can take this anomaly detection to, to their data. And I think, I think that's pretty cool because if you, if you stabilize that anomaly detection, you could take it one step further. You know, instead of creating a ticket, you could perform an action, right? If you're getting attacked by a particular range or country, whatever, you could just dissect, you know, update a um, security policy right there and, and self-heal or, you know, uh, take protective actions 
and go from there, which is pretty, pretty cool. I mean, right? open sourcing the statistical models, I think is awesome. Yeah, because I, I agree. I haven't seen any great open source kind of statistical, especially around uh, security anomaly detection and things like that. And I think the industry is starting to get to the place where, you know, more data is better for data science. I completely agree. Data science is not rocket science. I think Mike got really upset one day when he realized that data science wasn't actually like magic happening inside the computer. It's basically statistics and vector math. It's just straight up math and I got so angry. He got very angry when he figured out it was math. The business side, they make it sound like it's this you know there's a hermit in a cave who does the data science <laughs> you start to realize is that no it's just math applied in a common sense way for your particular domain and that's where people fall down they want either the shoebox approach where we just fill it up and get an answer or they try to make it too detailed. Well, I gotta say, I, I have to applaud the fact that you're willing to open source the anomaly detection because I think that's how you actually build really good anomaly detection. The more sets of eyes you have on it, removes the bias of your of your work practices, removes the bias of the data set that you're dealing with, and, and starts to include a whole bunch of other sets of eyes. Because I can only imagine that this is gonna be very popular. Uh, once you guys have a, a modular R approach, I'm already getting really excited. I'm doing statistics in my head. I can fix a lot of Mike's problems and a lot of the data <laughs> data quality problems. Yeah. Because otherwise, you got to make lists, right? Another example of anomaly detection that, that we have running currently internally is um, unusual processes running on the servers. And we, you know, previously, when we were running sort of these static queries, we would say, well, if there's a process and it matches any one of these sort of bad right. process names, then we won't know about it. But then you're in this never-ending uh, hamster wheel of updating that list, right, with new bad names as they emerge, when really, if we look at, you know, and I'm speaking from the security analytics perspective, but I'm sure you can find the parallels. For us, in our production environment, we have a pretty steady set of processes. So if we have a system that can learn that statistically, and then any bad bad process that's not one of those is going to stick out like a sore thumb, and we don't need to maintain that. Yeah, uh, where, that I mean, list where you things. have basically blacklists and whitelists, just about every other process flow has an equivalent black blacklist and whitelist. And when you actually model a process down to something that is repeatable to what a general kind of industrial organization would do you can definitely start learning the process. You can definitely start identifying your outliers, identifying your anomaly with some degree of certainty and, and understand, you know, what is the normal distribution and am I falling outside of that? And uh, it's, it's not rocket science, but the biggest problem is everybody hold, holds this, this kind of methodology so close to the chest that what ends up happening is you are, you are exactly 2% of what you could be when you could just kind of open this up and really get started making things happen on that subject on that subject I, I want to point out kind of another cool feature you know you're, you're eating your own dog food the data sharing aspect so you have these white lists and this blacklist if you wanted to share that data with other snowflake accounts or internally or external you are really doing the heavy lifting and then they can consume those tables and that uh list and the black it's it's kind of it's it's the direction you want to head to to fight the bad guys in a sense right or or leverage it and i wasn't <laughs> going to bring this up because it's, it's such a it's such a big thing and you know i want to 
yeah. what, talk about what we've done so far, but data sharing on yeah. Snowflake is just going to change the game completely for cybersecurity. Yeah. It's it huge. It has yep. been so siloed and the data has just been sort of locked away in this closet. And then at the same time, you're shipping just these, these this very narrow window to the vendors and saying, hey, tell me if I have a bad guy in my environment. Well, they've just seen, you know, maybe 5% of, of, of the of the full picture and your analysts, well, then they need to piece together all the other uh, context, right? Data sharing is going to change all that. We actually have design partners active right now consuming our security data through data sharing, securely getting access to specific kinds of data that we've already collected into Snowflake and they're experts in their field. So we're working with, with some threat hunting experts and we share certain kinds of logs, maybe the cloud logs, and maybe the endpoint activity logs. And now they can start saying something like, there was an admin that made a change in AWS, but I didn't see Chrome running on their browser. And usually they have Chrome running on, on, their, on their laptop, right? That's, that's so powerful. And, and we're doing the same thing for vulnerability management and for SaaS security, and, and it's coming. And we have companies now that are building their entire business model based on having access to these rich data sets over Snowflake data sharing. And it's, it's going to be huge. Uh, you know, we're, we're really just getting started. I, I just, I just, I just imagine, you know, the virus definition being publicly available and everybody contributing it and, and just really getting this momentum and profiling yeah. to where you have a comfort level uh, again. Right. Well, even then, you know, a lot of uh, companies have these data brokers, these guys who who charge you. So in the oil industry, that's drilling info, that's IHS, those guys who do nothing but collect data. And getting the getting at the data is either there's a huge barrier to entry to the point where academics and, and guys of that nature can't really get at it. Having the ability to easily share data and basically saying, here's a JDBC, ODBC link, you know, here's your your you know, your Python access to this data set. I mean, that's a game changer for a lot of statistical processes that are just impossible to deal with now. And it's not like you get to share all of your private information. You can anonymize it. You can deal with all your PII stuff. You can do all that stuff and you can share a subset of the data. I mean, the, the data sharing features, I mean, to be honest, we could do a whole podcast just on that. I'm just going to say that they're pretty awesome and it is going to be a massive game changer, not just for security. I agree for security for sure, but for a lot of the data brokerage and just inviting people to work on your data in more of a Netflix style competition where, uh, where you could actually really start getting huge industrial leaps and bounds in, uh, really across the board. So uh, now that we're starting to get a little bit to a part where I could just start a whole nother podcast, <laughs> I think this is probably a good place to, uh, to go ahead and stop. So thank you guys so much for joining. Um, you are obviously welcome back anytime because we could probably just talk about data sharing and security vulnerabilities <laughs> for an, another hour. Cool. Thank you, Chris. Up here on tap. I suggest we do the next one in their office. Yeah, we could do the next one. In their <laughs> office. We have to be on, on tap. Yep. yep. <laughs> like all right. Well, thank you very much, and thanks to all of our listeners. Um, Omer, if you have a Twitter account or anything where people can message you, you're free to give that out. 
yeah, I would I would say email snow alert at snowflake.com and uh, that's the that's the team that's working on snow alert and we'd love to engage. There you go. So I know Omer has to leave his room. So we'll go ahead and end it there. Ed, you can get a hold of Ed. He writes a lot of our blog posts on the uh, on the HashMap Medium blog. So feel free to jump on and look at him. Ed, do you have a, a Twitter handle that you want to give out? I do. It's called Genghis Fran. Genghis Fran. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So thank you guys very much again. And we will talk to you later. Thank you, man.